Digicom Weekly Growth Marketing Podcast. Hey everyone, thanks for jumping on Digicom's Growth Marketing Podcast. This week, we are speaking with Laura Maurer. Laura and I have done a lot of business together and Laura predominantly focuses on, you know, brand marketing, content production. Currently, she is a digital marketing consultant. She has incredible ability to develop all different types of uh, content, uh, SMS, email strategies for brand. Um, You know, she has a deep understanding of a full funnel digital approach from working with brick and mortar stores to creating roadmaps for digital launches. Laura, thanks for jumping on call with us uh, today. Very excited to have you on our podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So just gonna jump right into it. You know, could you tell us and uh, our listeners a little bit more about your your background and what got you into digital? Yeah, it's kind of a kind of an interesting story. I um, I graduated in 2009 in the middle of the financial crisis with an art history degree. So I did not have a ton of prospects at the time. So I ended up working in an art gallery in New York for a couple months, made some commitments, and I knew I wanted to live abroad. And I knew that if I stayed in New York and got settled, I would do that. So I decided to move to Argentina, where I lived for a year, and I ended up getting to marketing. I met someone who had gone to my school years before me, and he hired me to support with marketing his business. This was Instagram had just come out. Facebook advertising was not a thing. So it was really like content marketing. And that's how I kind of fell into marketing. I came back to the States in, at the end of 2010, I believe, or the beginning of 2011, and started work for in-house for a multi-brand retailer. It was a very, you know, small, it was one of the companies that like looks much bigger from the outside than it is. So sort of overseeing all of their marketing initiatives. So social, email, you know, PR events, all of that. This was before influencers were really a thing. So not just doing like little bits of influencer here and there without really knowing it was influencer. And then when I was 26, I left that company and I've been working as a consultant ever since. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. I know, you know, we've we've partnered on a multitude of different brands together and you wear many hats, right? Like some include content, some include creative work, others include like audit or brand positioning. I always find, you know, the brand positioning work we do together quite interesting because like, of course, like we focus predominantly on performance marketing and growth and acquisition, but there's a huge brand component that is always important. And I think, you know, they both go hand in hand together. You need one and you need the other. Would love if you can kind of chat a little bit about brand positioning and like content creation and, you know, where you think like what's important and, and why. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you mentioned that we've worked together on a lot of projects and that, you know, what we do is is fairly different. But I think we work so well together because you really do need both sides of the equation to um, to have a really successful campaign or brand. So, um, you know, like when you and I are working together on a launch strategy for an e-com brand, for example, you know what I think you and I both really understand is that there aren't any elements of digital that live in a silo. It's all very interconnected. So if you have a great social campaign, but it's not 
driving people to the website or it's not getting people to sign up for the mailing list. Like, and it's not, you know, clearly driving sales. It's really not very valuable. And same thing with paid marketing. If you are spending a lot on paid marketing, but you don't have the organic and brand content to, to support it and back it up and keep people engaged over a long period of time, that's not optimal either. So I think like when you're launching a brand, it's so important to think about how are all of these elements interconnected? And if there are elements of our marketing that we can't put into place right now, but we know we want to in the future, how do we set ourselves up so that that's going to be as easy as possible without throwing things off? So, so yeah, I think, does that answer your question? I just think it's so interconnected. Nothing is, nothing works on its own. And for, to, for a brand to be really, really strong, there has, there are a lot of elements there. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, just I I watched a video on this, I think maybe even last night, it was basically this gentleman, he was talking about the importance of building brand and awareness. And he's the example of Hyatt and Nike. And he basically said, hey, if you have Nike wanting to build a hotel, most consumers would know that look and feel and aesthetic and, you know, what that hotel will be about. But If you have a company like Hyatt that goes, hey, I want to make shoes. Well, nobody knows what that means, right? It's uh, Hyatt's known for its logo over its actual like brand look, feel, and just, you know, the consumer understanding of what this brand is about. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that like there are some hotel chains that I think could do that. Like if like Amon or, you know, some of these like boutique smaller hotel chains, like The Graduate is another one. Um, that have a very distinct aesthetic and and brand, they could probably launch a clothing line or a shoe line and it would make sense. But that's one one challenge, I think, for a really large company like Hyatt. Like, who actually are you? Because you're trying to be so many things to so many people. Yeah. And I think that's like, you know, some of the brand positioning work that we've done together, right? Where it's like this person should feel X or there should be a specific aesthetic associated with that, with the, with that brand. And, and I think what's cool is as we're working on certain partnerships and running media, you know, we might be like, Hey, these are 10 benefits of work, like using this brand's product or service, but like, these are the top three that matter. And, you know, from a positioning standpoint, then you can also lead in with, with that and, and vice versa. So it's always like this push and pull between brand and performance, which I think recently, you know, has been coming more together because you're right, teams are siloed, but you can't think about everything in a siloed manner. Right. Because if I, you know, say that I'm the target audience for a product and you serve an ad to me and the targeting is spot on, but I don't really like know what the product or the brand is and I don't have some of that other supporting information to make me say like, oh yeah, this is a a company I want to purchase from and support, then like your ad dollars aren't as effective because you haven't really like spoken. You've targeted the person, but you haven't really spoken to them. Yeah, it's uh it's it's very interesting how it's all it's all connected. What's uh one of your favorite brands and why? Um so I have two. So one is Everlane and I love Everlane, like not because I think their social is incredible, but I think just from a like I like the clothes they make and they make it very easy for me to buy them. So like the way that their their online and brick and mortar presence is like very 
intertwined. It's like as a customer, it's super easy to go in and buy things and they show you things that you will like. Right. So that's one for me. Another one I really like is BarkBox. I've kind of always said that the only the only way I would like take a full time role again is if it was with BarkBox, because I think their social media is so like weird and irreverent and fun. And it's clear that they're not trying to they're not trying too hard. I don't like I don't know who their social media person is, but I want to be friends with them. It's just and I'm you know, I'm a dog owner, so I'm their target audience for sure. But I just think what they're doing is really weird and interesting and I get a big kick out of it. And I have a really positive association with the brand because of it. Yeah, I worked with BarkBox and, you know, worked on some media campaigns for them uh, a few years ago. And I know when Rob Schutz was at BarkBox, he's now a co-founder at Roman, but was at, at BarkBox uh, and we were doing like content campaigns, you know, everything was always fun and it was always lighthearted. And, you know, every now and then there's like all of these promotions, like a Halloween promotion where it's a specific Halloween based toy that they created for pets. And, you know, it's their, their campaigns are always like incredibly fun and like just great to see what's what's going on in, in, in their world. Yeah. So those are those are probably my two off the top of my head that I really like for very different reasons. Yeah. Amazing. So you've worked with, you know, a ton of different brands. Um, what advice can you give startups to, you know, grow? Like where, you know, where do you think it's important for founders and, you know, employees one through five to, to focus their time? So I think it really depends on what the business is. But I think for anything that is B2C, I think that content and email are huge. And but I think like what you and I have worked on with a number of clients together is like leveraging paid as a lead generator to get people on your mailing list so that you can speak directly to them. And I think I like email so much because, you know, it's not like the sexiest of the platforms, but I think it's the one that performs the best. It's the one that I've seen that I work on that performs the best year over year. I like that it's not subject to the whims of an algorithm or price changes. And, you know, you if you build this list and you send an email to people, they will see it. And that's not the case with social. You know, you're really at the mercy of whatever the algorithm is that day um, or week. So, those would be my recommendations, like building that list before you launch and then having a really solid base of people who are excited to hear about your brand from the moment it's live. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree. And I echo that just because like, you know, when we're building these uh, growth programs, right, like we focus on paid. So say paid is the driver of all the traffic to your site and there's offline non-paid channels that aren't working. Well, that's going to impact your MER, your total business ROAS, what like your business break-even points are, right? And building out email programs and building out a content strategy so you have better SEO to get folks to site. Like, is there an investment there? Yes, but is the like, like the larger your list gets or the more pages you get indexed on certain keywords, right? Um, that helps generate a lot of traffic. And it's also your own audience data, right? So when you're running these email deployments, you're like, just like you mentioned, you're speaking directly to the audience that is interested in your brand and product. And you can speak directly to those folks and improve metrics across your entire business by building a strong email program, SMS program, content program. And that goes back in hand with all the things 
things that are happening in paid because like paid might be bringing in the new users that want to hear from you again and purchase or they need to be nurtured a little bit more to learn more about the products and how it works and you know or maybe there's a like a price point where it's you're in the email program and it's hey black friday sales are coming like going live and you can speak directly to that audience who hasn't made a purchase by segmentation right like i worked with this multi-brand retailer where and this was like 10 years ago now so like the capabilities have changed a lot but we had all this customer data where we were able to go in and say like okay which brands have people purchased how much have they spent and then we were able to recommend other brands that we carried or other styles that we just knew that these customers would like and so like it was a lingerie company so for women a lot of times getting so getting an advertisement for something that like does not come in your size or is not available to you is super frustrating and i think especially when you're talking about like the lingerie industry when you're talking about bras and there's so many sizes we would make sure we were like leveraging that data to be like okay what size does this person buy we're never going to show them something that doesn't come in their size because what a terrible user experience so we were able to like incorporate size price style, recency of purchase, and then create really targeted campaigns. And as a result, we saw like great success with our email program. And it like eclipsed while I was there, it eclipsed the the brick and mortar revenue. And it'd be that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Personalization, um, you know, and uh, it, it is important in yeah, it totally makes sense. I mean, you know, for me, if it's like, hey, you buy this shoe and this shoe is not in my size. Well, why did you send me this? Right. So like, I think that's frustrating if even if it's just out of your size and you could say like, OK, notify me when it comes back. But if the product does not even come, it's not made in your size. Like that is so infuriating as a consumer. You're like, you've wasted my time. I now have like my opinion of this brand has gone down. So, yeah, I think being able to really personalize is so important and like that's not new we've been talking about this for years but it's just like a good reminder (laughs) uh where do you see digital going in the next five years i see i think that like I think there's going to be more like real time personalization. So like an example of that is like and this could be email, SMS. It could be like a number of channels. But like what like and I saw this once with I think it was seamless where it was raining where I live and I got a text saying like, don't go outside. It's raining. Order your food. I think that sort of like real time personalization of like the weather is like this right now. So buy this thing or, you know, use this service. I think there will be more of that. I think, you know, AI, obviously, everyone, that's what everyone's talking about. I think using AI to like predict what people are going to want and to create like personalized offers will as well. And then I think interactivity and like email will will continue to increase. But then I also think like on the flip side, there is like this craving for more in-person like events connection. And so I think it's going to be really interesting to see how those things like diverge. But then events will kind of come back together and how brands start using like in real life events to support their digital campaigns. Yeah. And I think uh, very much like, you know, this year as we've come, you know, more out of COVID than we have 
since you know the last couple of years uh, three years people are longing to have more interaction and you know going to the store is an event because a lot of people are working from home and you want to get out and like touch the fabric uh you know try sizes on and understand like if the fit is good plus like you had mentioned right it's an event like you go to the mall you go check things out and that is definitely more more important i i uh i've seen like some technologies come out in the last couple of years where your bluetooth is being like tracked somehow and like you're getting personalized messages walking through malls which is cool and you know maybe it's like a little intrusive but for me it's cool because i'm like oh you know what i do want this but for other folks right it's uh might be a little intrusive yeah, I actually like did a, a consulting project with a company years ago that was doing this. This was probably like six or seven years ago. And I just think the like technology wasn't quite there yet, but it was similar like alerts, like g- very targeted geolocation alerts. So if you were in a store, it, you would get an alert of like, oh, I think they were actually focusing on bars and like happy hours and like alerts where it was like, oh, happy hours over in 15 minutes. Like, Things like that where I'm not sure where they're going. I'm not sure because like you said, it can be intrusive. I don't know if people are going to want to allow that sort of communication, but it'll be interesting. But like, you know, when I mentioned Everlane earlier, what I like so much about them is that when I go into a store and I can ask someone a question and like they have my entire order history at their fingertips. And like, so I can ask anyone in the store, like, what size did I buy these in last? And they can tell me. And then if I decide to buy something else, it's basically like a one click process because my card's on file. It's so easy. So I think that sort of integration of digital and brick and mortar is going to just continue. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's very fascinating. What's one question you wished I asked you and how would you answer it? One question wished you had asked me. Um, bu- bu- bu. I'm kind of blanking. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't really have anything. Do you have enough for me? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know you just recently, you know, launched your podcast uh, earlier this year. It's called Calm. You know, what inspired you to launch that and how's it been going? Yeah, I have a podcast called Calm the Hell Down, and it's been going well. So I live in New York City, which is not the most calming of places. But, you know, when I think about how I want to feel on a day-to-day basis, calm is always the thing that comes to mind. And I've worked really hard to achieve that, mainly because, like, I'm not, like, when I'm not calm, I'm not great at my job. I'm not a great partner. I'm not a great daughter. Like all those things. I just think being calm makes me better at everything I do. I, you know, and I just felt, especially after COVID, I felt like people were really craving that sense of calm. And so I started the podcast as a way to sort of talk to people who are approaching this topic in a different way. So, you know, there's meditation, there's yoga. I think that's what a lot of people think of first. And those things are great, but like there are a lot of other modalities and ways to approach it. So I have talked with people who are AI ethicists and they do breath work or they work with psychedelics. So just like talking about different ways to cultivate calm. And then I also talk a little bit about how as a business owner, you can maintain that sense of calm, which I think is one of the reasons a lot of people might not start a business because they think it's going to be just way too stressful. But there is certainly a way to to stay calm and do it. 
Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, I, I agree. I think there, you know, being a business owner and like scaling a business is challenging. It can be lonely. There's a lot of things that can happen in a short amount of time or there are things you're waiting on that take too long. And that is, I think, important. So, you know, for our listeners, check out Laura's uh, podcast, Calm the Hell Down. Laura, where, where else can our listeners find you? I think I'm most active on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn or my website, lauramauer.com. And yeah, those are the places I spend most of my time. Amazing. Thanks for hopping on with us today. Yeah, thanks so much.